they said it shouldn't happen, but it happened. One more goal came crawling back. We rose from the grave. Fuck the haters. <laughs> Everyone who said that we should not come back. That video games were done. Didn't you hear that? By the way, video the five months are, are gone. Video games are over. Gamers are over. Video game journalism's over. It's all over. It's all fucking done. It's done. So, we, in fact, that actually makes us more relevant than ever as me, Nicol Hay, and my faithful life companion, Barry Topping, look hello, back. Hello, As we look back at the uh, the games of yesteryear and remember this uh, proudly proudly remembered fallen hobby. When, when gaming was just a pastime and not a culture. Yeah, yeah. I, when it was just something that you put in front of your kids to stop them screaming at you about how terrible you'd made their lives. When gaming was an opiate. And boy, did we cram it into our veins. Certainly did. So I guess we should maybe kind of apologise before we do anything else. Just I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here. We should really just apologise because we've been away for a very long time and we didn't really address it. We're just kind of like, eh. Yeah, we'll be back soon. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a good test of whether people actually care about your podcast or not. Though I think two people might have asked when there's going to be a new episode. So. No, I think it's more than that. Every so often, we'll get a wee tweet just sort of going, "Could you stop being dead, please?" And we sort of, you know, we feel very grateful and humble and guilty about that. But uh, um, uh, my my colleague here, Mister Toffing, has been very very busy. I, He's still very very busy at the moment. That's it. Get me blamed. Oh, it's not. It's not blaming at all. You're just moving on with life. It is my fault. A lot of life stuff happened. Um, there was the the rebirth of Game Link, which obviously happened. That took a lot of time, and then set up a business. And but now we have a lovely new place to record. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a beautiful office, and Barry is actually really busy even as we speak. He's multitasking. He's sitting filling out invoices with his feet. He's um, composing. Terrible insults to hurl at Ryan McLeod with his eyebrows. I thought you were going He's to say doing like all of these composing things. music. I was like, oh, relevant, but no, composing insults. I'll Probably cheer, more relevant. Cheer, cheers for that. Yeah. Cheers for that, Michael. You do music sometimes. <sighs> Just a wee bit. Nothing, nothing good. Um, so we have been away for a long time. There's probably a lot happened in terms of. There'll be a lot of relevant hashtag content will have happened, mm-hmm. but we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about some kind of recent stuff. Yeah. And um, what I just I'll, I'll get the gloating out of the way first. Um, when I said I just said there we, we set up a business, set up a new office. And um, the first, of course, the most important purchase on that list was some kind of arcade machine. And you got some kind of arcade machine. We did it? No, not one for the purest. Not one for the purest. It's an old. It's an old Virtua Fighter cab. That's just had most of the the actual most of the actual hardware taken out. We still got the coin slot and stuff, but it's really just had its brain replaced with an original Xbox, which is running like a multi emulator front end called CoinOps. Oh, okay. Which is quite an interesting thing. So um, it's not it's not just like the sort of meme that you would expect. It's it runs it is, but it has a very nice interface. Okay. I'd say when I opened it up and saw there was an original Xbox in there, I was a bit like. <laughs> but it runs really nice. Um, it's got oh, it's got a banging Olufsen CRT in it as well. I know, I know. So no, it's a really, really nice thing. Um, we may get a chance to talk about it more mm-hmm. in the future. But I really just wanted to say that, like, it was. It's not the the most fancy arcade machine in the world. It looks pretty shit. It's old. It's derelict. But. God damn it, I mean, getting a mate and standing next to each other and just playing, like, some two-player shmups on... 
just being that close to Richie Morgan, I can't, no, I can't imagine. It's, it's been so great. It's been so, so great. So that's one of my retro gaming life goals realised, is I finally have an arcade machine. And God damn it is good. It does look very, very nice. We'll, we'll get a wee playing. shot after. We'll get a wee we'll, shot. Uh, well, um, and you know, this is just the first step to mm. like you abandoning this idea of running a production company instead just, of running a CD arcade where you corrupt all the local exactly. teens. Were you asking what I've been playing there? On yeah, the, on, was, the, on yeah. the old arcade machine. Yeah, um, played some Turtles, which yeah. is relevant. We yeah. we played the arcade version of Turtles. Played some Simpsons. Played some X Men. All the Konami sort of multiplayer stuff. Mm-hmm. Playing a lot of the Shmups as well. It has all the cave stuff on there. Nice. Um, Outrun 2 is on there. Played a bunch of that. That's a great arcade game. But I mean, I've really just been working my way through stuff like like the Toa Plan and the title Konami arcade back catalogs. Um, surprisingly played a lot of football arcade games like those football games are good like Virtua Striker has a a, a certain amount of charm mm. it's Super Sidekicks 3 is on there as well so we can yes finally revisit that but no that's a great if, if you ever have a few hundred pounds expendable income like I would fully recommend buying a beat up old arcade machine just a few hundred pounds that's that's what's the most amazing thing is it's like back when arcades were in the heyday like if you ever tried to price up having an arcade like if you saw like it was always the dream on like uh, American teen films that you know, like the the ultimate bedroom for the really really cool kids mm. would have an arcade machine, and you think, oh, one day, one day I'll do that, and you realise it was like two, three, four grand, like back then in the nineties. So always, always been a, a dream of mine to own an arcade machine, and you know, like I said, it's not the most beautiful looking thing in the world, but you t- after after you ha- you've had it on for about thirty seconds, you just completely forget that it looks like shit. And, you love it like your runty child. Totally. So we got that for three hundred bucks. Had to go and pick it up from England, which wasn't ideal. But there you go. I mean, three hundred quid for three thousand games that you can legitimately play. Well, you managed to pick it up before the border goes down. So that's... exactly, exactly. Thanks, England. Um, so that's that's what I've been doing. I say I've been setting up a business and shit, but I've really just been playing arcade shmups. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just be true to yourself, Barry. No. Um, I've been playing. Like this isn't news at all in any sense of the words but I discovered um, we, we spoke a, a couple of episodes ago if you remember that far back when they uh, did the, the free version of Crazy Taxi on iOS to uh, publicise their terrible version of Crazy Taxi that came out to be paid for on iOS but I, I discovered that back in sort of 2010-11 they released quite a lot of Dreamcast games on iOS Yes, that really yeah, yeah, it's at radio, but like, there's a few of them that are really good. It's like uh, the Super Monkey Ball games work really well on iOS, just mm-hmm. because of the tilting mechanics. You know, it really takes advantage of the the velocimeter inside your uh, your iPad or iPhone, and uh, that's a that's a lovely little experience. But the one that I've been really really enjoying is Choo Choo Rocket, which is um, if anyone doesn't know, Choo Choo Rocket was uh, Sega's proof of online. Capability game for the uh, for the Dreamcast big launch title. No, Was no, that? didn't come out at launch because um, online play didn't come out for oh, maybe three or four months after right. the actual. I thought uh, it was a launch title. No, 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 no. Uh, launch titles were like Sonic, Sonic Adventure, Adventure and Trick Style. Um, so yeah, it took a little while for Choo Choo Rocket to come out, but it was actually free mm-hmm. when it came out. Like you, like as long as you were signed up for. Uh, Dream key for like the the online services you could get a, just a copy of Chuchu Rocket posted to you, and after that it was bundled free with the Dreamcast. Oh, yeah. Um, 
it's a it's a great game. It it looks great. The the music's fantastic. The idea of it is is that you've got these like little maps with uh, on a grid system with these little mice called choo choos who sort of run uh, in one direction, and when they hit a wall, they'll turn right. And you've got to try to get them into these rockets that will blast off and blast them to safety because uh, they're being chased by these cats called Capo Capos who are chasing them around. Um, so, like the idea of the online game. Uh, was that you had like you could put down direction markers, arrows to sort of like direct the mice uh, around the cats, around obstacles, and yeah. into the into the rockets. The idea of the multiplayer online is there was like four of you, up to four of you on the one screen, and you had like these like stations producing the mice for like the three minutes that each stage would last, and you would try to grab as many mice as possible by either directing them to your rocket or directing them away from an enemy's rocket. Um, now this was a, a great idea in theory, and the Dreamcast didn't really work that well because you only had the joypad for for interface. So you're trying to move around a pointer with the joystick, which with the control stick, which is you know anyone who's ever tried to do that knows it's a little difficult, especially when it's a frantic action game, especially when it's a frantic action game being harpled by the the lagginess of using like a fourteen four baud modem. Mm. Um, so on, it works on pretty well. On iOS. Well, on iOS, it's perfect because you can just sort of like pick your square and flick your finger, and you've got the uh, the direction. Um, I've not actually played any of the multiplayer um, because you know, I think I just downloaded it the other day. But there's like puzzle stages as well, which are sort of set up with banners and things like that, and you've got a limited amount of the direction arrows to use. Uh-huh. And for that, as an iOS time sync on, on iOS or Android as well, as a mobile game, like that little puzzle element, it's absolutely perfect. It's like completely yeah, along at the platform. I, I do. I do agree that if you want like a very, very sh- like short time sink, like puzzle games are absolutely the way to go. There are people that don't like puzzle games. That always blows my mind. Mm. Can can't, can't understand it, but I bet they love Sudoku. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so um, I, I do recommend uh, Crazy Taxi and Super Monkey Ball. But absolutely, sixty nine P is a great song to play for a really, really good puzzle game in the form of Choo Choo Rocket. Sweet. Um, thanks to Ryan McLeod for this next one, who recently discovered a website called thecompany.pl. Do we really want to thank Ryan? That seems like a dangerous precedent to set. This is... This this blew my mind. Like, I've never tried to emulate arcade... Uh, sorry. I've never tried to emulate Amiga games before. I've got an Amiga, but... I'm sure I've said on the podcast before it's like a lot of hassle getting an Amiga, like an A500 running on an actual TV these days. But the company.pl, um, basically they've, they've taken a bunch of Amiga games and turned them into like self-contained uh, .exe packages mm-hmm. and they just got a big list of them hosted and you can just go and download them. You don't have to tweak any of the settings or anything. It's just a so it's got like a bespoke emulator in with the ROM. Aye. That's interesting. So just .exe, downloads, it plays, fine. Joystick, already mapped, joypad, already mapped, everything, great. So if you were wanting to revisit some old Amiga classics, or if indeed you wanted to discover some old Amiga classics, um, get on that, thecompany.pl. Yeah, that's Poland, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well done, Poland. I downloaded uh, Parasol Stars was the first thing I downloaded. Thomas the Tank Engine Pinball was the second thing. Downloaded, but of course you own all of these games, so it's all nice and legal, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, Syndicate's on there too, which you also own, so nice and legal again. Of course, of course. Thank you. Yes. So get on the company.pl if you want to play some real good Amiga games that you already own. Um, 
This is, I'm not going to get too in-depth about this, but I recently played Shovel Knight. Um, and Shovel Knight is far and away one of the finest, finest games I've played in a long time. I don't want to get too in-depth to this. I've not played Shovel Knight, but I have looked at it longingly. It's it's incredible. It is A lot of things are billed as love letters to the 8-bit era, but this is definitely the most genuine of those. Um, everything ev- everything is so true to if it was a NES game. The mm. music is incredible. The good thing about the music is, uh, like Jake Kaufman, the guy that does most of, like he did most of the way forward music for like Shanty and that, and sure. now if he's doing mm-hmm. stuff for Yacht Club, like he is, he's a total genius. Like already one of the greats, and you know, one of the greats in the modern age. It's I can see the but tear falling down your cheek as you speak about him. It's all the so all genuine. the music, all the music's built on like completely genuine. Like NES-based synthesis, so it's it's like actual music that would come out of an actual NES, which might it might not mean a lot to people that aren't super super passionate about chiptune music, but there's a definite there's a difference between chip music and eight bit music. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, I, I don't profess to write in like genuine eight bit music, but this is just one of the many many great great things about Shovel Knight. So, um, absolutely buy it. Don't wait for it to come out on the Wii U or the 3DS. Just buy it on PC and then buy it on the Wii U and 3DS whenever it comes out. It's worth buying twice. But um, I was—I can't believe I waited so long to play it. I waited for the the 3DS European release. That's probably never going to happen. But oh. it's absolutely worth playing. Um, See, that's disappointing. That's why I've not played it because I don't have a PC. So I'm waiting for it to come out on a platform that I actually own. Ah well, boo. So, Nicola, another month, another one more go, and another chance to convince our good listeners that the Mega Drive wasn't totally shit. It wasn't totally shit. I agree. Yeah, it was... um, No, it was a lovely machine, and this actually game I'm going to talk about is a very, very Mega Drive game for all the the faults and and benefits that that has. We're talking about Comic Zone, which is an action platformer which came out on August 1995. So a very, very late era Mega Drive game. The the Saturn and the PlayStation were already doing their thing in Japan when this game came out. Mm. Um, Very, very interesting game. Like I say, an action platformer. But the, the, the big concept behind it, the big selling point of it, is that your character has been transported into a comic book that he was drawing. Is this your perfect game ever? A game about <laughs> comics for the Mega Drive? Everything about the concept is just speaking to me and singing to my soul. Um, so the way that that mostly sort of takes uh, form in terms of the aesthetic in the actual game is that the the action is sort of split into panels, basically, small discrete areas, but you can see like the gutters around the panel that you're standing in, and you can see like the other stages just like below and to the right and uh, off the edges of the page, and you sort of navigate by like clearing each stage, normally by uh, you know beating up and disposing of the enemies that are in there, and then you then like a big sort of like arrow flashes in, like you know sort of going this panel next. And yeah. That allows for branching pathways. You can go, like, go up or down, and you swing up or down the, the panels, and it breaks up the action nicely. And it's a really convenient way of breaking up like different scenes and different graphical um, thoughts mm. on, you know, wh- which was, you know, even for the time, fairly limited hardware. It really does push the Mega Drive as much as the Mega Drive could be pushed. It looks terms. real nice, looks really nice. Very, very big sprites. Mm. Everything's like really nicely drawn. Well, 
I mean, it's nicely rendered. Whether or not the actual right, aesthetic right. is nice is something that we'll... Uh, we'll save that for the comic podcast, <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, it, there's lots of invent- invention, not just in terms of the, the routes itself and the layouts, but um, there's an aesthetic. The, there's, like, items that are hidden, but the way you unveil them, like your main character, Sketch Turner. Sketch Turner. He has a pet rat who, like, um, you can unveil, and, like, if you use the rat as like an item he'll sort of sniff around the 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 panel that you're on and like find something like hidden behind the page and sort of like rip down the paper All right, cool. and like you know a, a useful item like a grenade or a knife or a bit i was of i was kind of distracted by the fact that you said unveil twice like you unveil the rat like you literally uh, there is a veil uh, around the rat i think i meant unleash but you know thanks for uh thanks for pointing out my linguistic i was just i was just thinking about a man taking a veil to, to reveal a rat beneath. I think that's quite funny. What you see when I say veil, I instantly go wedding, which is a very, very different concept uh, altogether. How do we always get back onto this? Fuck me. What, marrying rats? Aye. <laughs> <laughs> it's a constant struggle in our friendship. Um, there's also an attack, like um, like a sort of desperation attack, which uses quite a lot of energy, but like uh, your guy can peel a bit of paper off the background and form it into a paper aeroplane which he throws at the enemies yeah, which sure. like, deals a lot of damage but it takes a lot of health from yourself uh. in order to do it so on that hand it's a really innovative exciting game that plays with its uh, adopted aesthetic and makes something really unique uh, on the other hand it's such a product of the 90s that it's very, very difficult to get beyond. Does it have some dialogue in it, if I recall? It does. Well, it's got constant dialogue in it and represented by speech balloons above the characters. Is that nice in 90s? Is there some good... Well, is, if anyone here is into comics, I will just say, like, you know, 1995... <laughs> I'll just so say, stop is... listening. <laughs> yeah, just stop. Grow up. Come on. <laughs> um this is I'm, I'm like I, I just I have to I have to apologise. I don't hate the Mega Drive and I don't hate comics. It's just that Nickel loves them both so much. <laughs> I feel the need to to really probe that issue. Just right. really just kick me in the kidneys while I'm standing here. Um, yeah, it's it came out in 1995. So the prevalent aesthetic at the time, the thing that was taking over the world, is Image Comics and uh, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and Eric Larson and all those guys. They're Big muscly dudes, there are plenty of lines. I mean, I'll just describe to you your protagonist here, Sketch Turner, the guy who's drawn the, the comic, Comic Zone, which in the lore of the game was uh, struck by lightning, which is what caused him to fall into the comic and the main bad guy to come out and try and take over the world. Comics with an X as well. Comics course. with an X because it's extreme. Uh, Sketch Turner not only is a comic book artist and a badass martial artist, he's also a freelance rock musician. Oh, there's a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, going about. freelance as opposed to you know all those ones that are sucking on the corporate teeth. You know, musician. you know, owned by BP. A freelance rock musician. His uh, his outfit. He has well. Long blonde what hair. What does he play? I, I don't know. It doesn't say, but I'm, I'm assuming he plays the the guitar. He'll be play, he'll be on like a Fender Explorer or something like that. Like uh, just something horribly shaped and shredding. Gibson made Explorers, mate. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's because you're a fucking bass player. That's it. That's it. Um, so his his hair. He's got long blonde hair with a skater cut shaved on the sides, tied uh, back into a ponytail. He wears black high tops and joggy shorts. Um, he's got a grey sleeveless hoodie over his white granddad's shirt. 
tiny little round linen shades and the piece de resistance fingerless leather gloves yes mate he's such a rad dude it's uh it's difficult to comprehend. Do you think he's one of those dudes that plays guitar with the fingerless gloves on? He definitely does. That's the worst patter that exists. <laughs> the absolute disgust in Barry's face there. like it's, re- it's really hard to play with the fingerless gloves on as well. Like. I'll let you in behind the scenes here. We actually had to stop the recording there because Barry went outside just to shout at the sun for 20 minutes. I did the, we, did, we did a Thin Lizzy tribute and I tried to play guitar with fingerless leather gloves on. It is impossible. So returning, so it is 90s as anything, yes, if you know anything 90s. about games. Um, so it's all in that sort of style. The, the storyline, like in the comic is, uh, like this is the comic that Sketch Turner wrote, um, is set in like a post-apocalyptic future where mutant, alien, mutant aliens are trying to take over the world. And when you get to the final boss, he's going to launch a nuclear missile to wipe out people. It's all, it's... It's environmental horror, it's uh, mutants, it's nuclear arms, it's, it's everything that made the 90s so, so 90s. Um, but, despite all of that, despite all of that very crunchy stuff which is appealing to the inner 14-year-old and all of us, mm. uh, if you can get beyond that, the gameplay itself is excellent. It's, it's really good fun. It is mainly a sort of scrolling progressive beater. Um, beater? No one's ever used that word. <laughs> beater. <laughs> It's mainly a sort of scrolling progressive beat 'em up. Um, you get into your next scene, um, like part of the comic aesthetic as well. Like uh, the way enemies appear, like a, you know the bad guy's hand will appear and draw in the enemy, sketch them in, and then mm, they become yeah. there. And when you've uh, kicked enough shit out of them with your uh, combinations of kicks and punches, um, they'll sort of dissolve into little wisps of paper. Mm. It's all beautifully animated and and really nicely done. Um, you get sort of certain amount of combos. I mean, I'm trying to make it out as more complex than it actually is. You really just have to keep mashing the, the ah, attack yeah, button and pressing your know, combinations of up and forward and down and forward so you get past the blocks. Yeah. But you know, it's it's complicated enough that it keeps you interested and simple enough that you know you're not having to like get into the competitive Street Fighter levels of counting frame rates or anything like that. Oh yeah. Um, and you get you got the the speech bubble gimmick where like the the story is sort of told through speech bubbles as the characters wander around. Um, it, it's also really interesting that it's not just about sort of fighting or beating your way through. There is like alternative solutions to almost everything on on each panel. There's there's objects in the world, like um, there'll be like uh, obstacles like. Uh, you know you'll have like uh, big spikes sort of shooting down from the ceiling and. You can get past them by punching them until they until they break. Mm-hmm. But punching objects like that like takes away from your health. So you can find look around like quite often if you use your rat. Who, by the way, and nod to the nineties radness of it is called roadkill. Um, like he can fit through little gaps. So sometimes he'll flick through something and find a switch for you. Sometimes you'll find a rock that you can use to to damage the the block itself. Do you find that you get your rat out a lot? Almost constantly, because my rat is the best at finding useful items to help me through life. Incredible. Um, there's like one of the early bosses, like you can sort of try avoiding its attacks and punching it and, and doing it the hard way, or you can sort of sneak under it, find like a like an oil filled barrel on the other side, 
it'll spit fire you and set fire in it and then you just sort of push the barrel oh, underneath cool. it and, and kill it so you know like alternate paths and stuff then yeah the exactly yeah. yeah that's pretty nice um, in terms of the actual playthrough the game is relatively short there's sort of six levels um, divided into three chapters so like two two levels per chapter each chapter has like a different sort of aesthetic and, and setting um, and like a, a big boss at the end of every second do you level. turn in a superhero at any point you can do <laughs> no um, like a, a, there's a, at the end of the level it's like part of the sort of like hallucination the weird trippy world when you like complete a level you turn into like his uh, his um, superhero I can't I don't know sure if the name's ever um, uh, described but it's oh god it's a horribly 90s looking Superman analogue with like Alice wraparound Chains, shades man. Soundgarden <laughs> man <laughs> <laughs> Pearl Man <laughs> Captain Flannel No, not having that one Nah, not having that one There's got to be a better one Captain What happened in the 90s? Captain Terry Christian There you go <laughs> um, But there is also a power up that you get Where you briefly turn it into the superhero And he punches the ground And it sort of rips the paper All along the bottom of that panel Which will take out enemies who uh-huh. are wandering towards you um, so yeah um, it's a good fight it's, it's quite difficult like uh, like I say like things will chip away at your energy yeah. at a moment's notice so um, you really have to be quite careful with the the battle and your strategy and how you you loop through it if you want to get to the end um, other than that there is there is one major problem that is really caused with the game's aesthetic and it being a proper uh, a property of its time is that it's in this pursuit of this sort of like rad macho dude persona it's pretty sexist mm-hmm. and it's kind of almost an amazing achievement for like a mid-90s platform game to be able to be sexist but it manages it um, of the enemies that you fight there's only sort of like five or so different types was was this a side effect of games or comics though? Really? It's a little bit of both. Oh, okay. It is a little bit of both. Um, there's like sort of five different types of enemies that you can fight, uh-huh. uh, and one of them called Mongoria is the only sort of female that you that you'll fight in the game. She's a really cool design, actually. She kind of looks like Kami with pigtails, but there's like sickles like pleated into her pigtails cool. so she like swings them throws them at you and she's got an attack where she'll like throw the sickle into the ceiling and like do a swinging mm-hmm. kick into you um, that's all cool like you know like she's quite a difficult enemy and it's a, a cool design but like her speech while you're fighting her like if you hit her she'll go oh but I'm tender if you do like a sweep on her she'll say oh you're sweeping me off my feet <sighs> if you uh, jump over and attack her from behind she goes oh, behind my back it's, oh, it's also really cringy and sort of like no she's not on objects but there's one point in the game where there's like sort of three of them in a row mm-hmm. and the best way to beat them the easiest way to beat them is if you take out your rat they get scared and run away good, good. yeah yep so it's pretty problematic and there's also um, throughout the game like your support character is a, is a girl called a lady called Alyssa who, uh, oh, a lady. A lady. She's like uh, sort of leading the resistance, the human's resistance in this post-apocalyptic uh-huh. landscape. And she's sort of like radio support. So she'll just like appear in the top corner every so often. You 
giving you advice on like how to proceed, what to watch out for. She's the one who suggests that your rat might be useful when you're facing off against the women. She knows that women are scared of horrible, scary little creatures. Of course, of course. Um, Is that why they don't like you? (laughs) So she's pretty tough and capable throughout the entire game. And like she's... Normally, just a support character, just a voice. Does she get kidnapped? Level, is that in where the this final is going? level, yeah, she's there. She's trying to disarm the nuke, and then the big bad turns up, grabs her, puts her inside the fuel chamber in the nuke, which is filling up. So you've got this time limit to try and beat the bad guy. If you don't do it in time, she drowns. Great. Good. So you can finish the game that way, but you get the bad ending where you know, like, he goes back to the real world, but he feels like he's he's not done enough. If you manage to defeat her quick enough, uh, defeat him, Mortis, the bad guy, quick enough, you rescue her, you bring her back to the real world where she becomes Sketch's girlfriend. This woman that he's God. literally created, this this woman that he's drawn to be his perfect woman. This sounds a lot like Kill World to me. Yeah, like. it's so wish fulfillment. But then, on the other side of the coin... To be fair to them, well, he becomes like a really successful comic book artist, like his comic comics. You mean he doesn't become a really fast. successful freelance rock musician? He's too busy uh, making comics on like the most. Uh, he just couldn't figure out his tax return. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Alyssa joins the army and becomes the chief of USA security. So you know, like that's pretty empowered. Well done to her. That's gonna kill. Why not? Um, so. Yeah, so but yeah, some cringy '90s stuff in there. But so yeah, it's it's something that's a product of its time, and uh, you might find that difficult. You might your mileage may vary on that. I'm I'm kind of highlighting it here just because, like, generally this is an aesthetic and a and a style and a, a a moment in comics that I don't particularly enjoy very right. much. Anyway, there are other people out there who might get a much more sort of nostalgic kick out of it. In terms of just the game itself. It's a really quick, fun fun blast. I would recommend playing through it just because it's really good what fun. What can you get it on these days? Everything. Cool. It's One of those. everywhere. Yeah, um, There's a and, Game Center CX episode on Comic Zone as well, mm-hmm. so if you can't be arsed playing it, just just watch that. Yeah. Oh, also, like, the, the game came in Japanese and English on the same cart, so you know if you want to practice your Japanese, ah, you, you never know, maybe the Japanese version is much less sexist. Somehow, I really doubt it. As you probably all have guessed by now, my first and arguably most significant childhood console was the SNES. But before I even knew who Mario was, I had years of playtime under my belt with another old friend. Familiar to some of you, but maybe not all, the trusty Amiga 500, a sort of home computer come games console that was the next logical progression for anyone that had a Commodore 64. You'd be forgiven that thinking a non-dedicated games machine had a lacklustre lineup, but the A500 is, to me, a stone-cold classic with a rich, diverse library that should be explored by anyone who isn't already familiar with it. This, unfortunately, though, is a story for another time, because the hero in this story is something altogether different. This is the story of the ill-fated Commodore, their final pre-bankruptcy push into the games console market, and the oft-forgotten machine known as the Amiga CD32. I never found out why he chose me to share his secret. Perhaps because we had similar dreams. But this, this was twice as fast, twice as powerful as anything I'd ever thought possible. Though what that meant, I could never have foreseen. 
Right, I imagine you've guessed this by now, but the CD32 is exactly what it sounds like. It's a 32-bit CD-based games console. This is interesting because it was released more than a year before the Saturn and the PlayStation made it to the West. The CD32 would have in fact been the first of its kind worldwide had it not been beaten seven months prior by the Japanese release of Fujitsu's FM Towns Marty. FM Towns Marty. Catchy. <laughs> Thanks to an incredibly messy patent dispute in the US, the CD32 was, as previously mentioned, the death knell of Commodore. Originally available in Canada before making it to Europe, the CD32 was never actually available in the US. Why? Well, a $10 million court settlement later and Commodore were done, the CD32 being discontinued less than a year after its release. This all paints a very bleak picture and you'd be forgiven for thinking that the CD32 A sold very little and B had absolutely no games. Well, I'm happy to say that both those assumptions are actually wrong. In its short lifespan, the CD32 managed approximately 100,000 units in Europe. It's not a blockbuster by any means, but it did still manage to trounce its main rival at the time, the Mega CD. As we all know though, the real merit of a games console lies funnily enough with its games. Look, anyone expecting a 32-bit gaming experience akin to that of the PlayStation or the Saturn is probably going to be very disappointed here. It's best to think of the CD32 as a souped-up 16-bit machine, a sort of super Amiga 500. I really have to be honest and think of the games I actually owned and actually recall rather than those that I could retrospectively pick up now. I recall games like Diggers, a 2D puzzler along the lines of Lemmings, and another game called Fury of the Furries. Well, I actually don't remember much about this apart from the name. I don't think you'd forget that in a hurry. But I also remember a lot of platformers, so many platformers. Games like Bubble and Squeak, Bubba and Sticks, Flink, James Pond 3, and even, yep, Zool 2. I also remember incredible adventure games like Simon the Sorcerer, Beneath a Steel Sky, brawlers like Body Blows and beat-em-ups like the ridiculously crass Dangerous Streets. I remember games like Microcosm, a 3D-ish shmup with a great soundtrack, The Chaos Engine, a wonderful top-down run-and-gun, and it even had a Worms port. What we had in the CD32 was a continuation of the sort of things we'd come to expect on Amiga 500. Those vibes very much continue with the CD32's library. No bad thing, I think you'll agree. An absolute standout in that library for me though was Banshee, a shmup that, shall we say, borrows heavily from Capcom's 1942 series, but it's an incredibly fine game in its own right, worth a look if you're into shmups. So you hate games, well that's, that's fine too, thanks to its expandability you can basically turn your CD32 into an A1200 anyway, you know if deluxe paint is more your scene. Now of course there are negatives with the CD32, but that's not really our scene on one more go. We like to keep things positive. Well, I've tried, I've really tried, but god damn, that joypad. Never have I experienced a cheaper piece of dog shit than the CD32's joypad. It feels like the kind of third party nonsense you'd get from a 2002 pound shop. I'd just, just let me, I'd like to go on record and express my fury at its coloured buttons. If you're going to steal ideas from the SNES, don't fuck it up so badly, it's absolutely horrendous. The CD32 in general as well, it feels cheap, it's an ugly box and it suffers from weird design quirks like its joypad ports being on the side. But 
really I'm just nitpicking here. I don't want to be too harsh. I think anyone that has the money or patience to go back to the CD32 could really find something rewarding. It has a deep and rich game library and I sound like a broken record but when you're looking at retro consoles that's the one thing that you need to consider and the CD32's game library is much much better than you may give it credit for. What have you been clutching in your tinily cupped hands? Well, I have been clutching, is, is the right word, I have been clutching Advance Wars. Yeah. What a game! Um, Advance Wars, known as Game Boy Wars Advance in Japan. Mm. Um, part of the long-running Wars series. That's um, an interesting thing, because it kind of leapt into our consciousness as a, as a brand new thing here in the West. Mm. In when? When was it? When did this come out? It was released on the 10th of September 2001, unfortunately, as you know, the day before the 9-11 yeah. terrorist attacks, which for a... I don't work in marketing, but I think releasing anything with the word wars in it directly after that, well, depends who you're selling it to, I suppose. So due to this, it was put on hold in Japan and Europe, so America saw it before Japan and Europe did. Um, they finally got it, um, well, Europe, we finally got it in uh, January 2002. Okay. But like I say, when it came to us, like, well, the uh, the uninitiated among us thought this was just like a brand new sort of series. This was the first time we'd seen this IP in Europe, correct? Pretty much. Uh, there's a very, very good reason why it was the first time we'd seen the Wars IP, which I will get to okay. later on. But I'll look forward to that. Um, for anyone unfamiliar, it's your typical SRPG turn-based kind of fair. Um, where you have a map and you have various types of units, 18 different units, which I'll explain a wee bit in a wee minute. Um, so you got your units and you're on a map and it's turn-based and you have to kill the enemy, mm-hmm. which is, again, pretty standard SRPG fare. Um, the battle mechanics are quite advanced, um, more so than Fire Emblem, which tends to work on quite a basic um, rock-paper-scissors mechanic. Something to note about Fire Emblem, both these games were developed by Intelligent Systems. Yeah. So, Fire Emblem and Advance Wars. Um, Nintendo actually brought in Intelligent Systems to help with the development of Advance Wars. So they weren't on any of the, the previous war games, which were NES and SNES games? If yeah, I Famicom right? Wars. So yeah. I've not played any of those, actually, so it would be me nice either. to. But I'm, I'm fairly certain, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that um, Intelligent Systems were only brought in to help with the development of of uh, Advance Wars. Um, so the way the battle mechanics work is that certain units can only attack certain other units. Such like as? some of the C units can't attack each other, for example. Okay. Um, but that w- within that system of s- only certain types can attack certain types, um, there is a rock-paper mechanic within that where they're weak to certain types and so on and so forth but this this makes more sense when you think about the different types of units which range from like infantry regular foot soldiers mechanized infantry which is like foot soldiers with bazookas and varying weights of tank Mm -hmm. then there are um artillery which is stuff like rocket troops um, mortars yeah um and air Mm -hmm. batteries um, and then there are air units too bombers fighters helicopters and then there are naval units um, we carrier ships and then cruisers and then battleships and then submarines and so on and so forth. 
So with 18 different units that all have different weaknesses and different strengths and have different attack ranges and can also attack different units. It's all reasonably intuitive once you sort of realise what everything does. Aye, intelligent systems, if they know one thing, they know how to balance a game. And Advance Wars is an absolute masterpiece of balance. Yeah. Um, so you get a vague idea of how the game works if you've ever played an SRPG. Um, a bit on the story, it takes place in the, the Wars world where all these games take place. Well, up until the DS ones, I believe, yeah, as the world changes. Yeah. Um, it involves these five main countries, uh, four of which are based on actual real-world countries, apparently. Right. I could probably guess, but I've not, not really put that much <laughs> thought in it. But, uh, there's Orange Star, which is who you start off as, uh, Blue Moon, who's your first sort of enemy, mm-hmm. um, Green Earth and Yellow Comet. There's also another one, but I don't want to ruin the story too much. Yeah. I don't want to talk too much about the story at all. Um, it begins, though, like I said, you're in the nation of Orange Star and you're in a war against the neighbouring country of Blue Moon. Um, you play the role of a tactical advisor um, and you're trained by another tactical advisor called Nell. And the first sort of 10 or 12 missions are the, the field training, which is basically an integrated tutorial. Yeah. Um, which again, um, we'll come back to because this, all this issue, like all, all the stuff about the tutorial, the balance, all feeds into why Advanced Wars never made it to the West prior. So oh, I see. It's very interesting, actually. So just, just I've, you I've got, on I'm on the edge of my seat. Um, and that's basically how it starts. Uh, I won't say much else than that. You are a trainee, um, tactical advisor. Tactical advisor, and then the game takes off from there. Um, you control one of three COs. Um, being Andy, Max and Sammy um, each CO has a unique sort of power mm-hmm. um, for example Andy's power you can restore HP to your damaged units because your units have HP which not only affects like their HP but it also affects how much damage they can do yep um, also gets a great uh, mechanic for when you're uh, assigning them to their to their roles when you're making your plan of attack because like well, they've each got like ten max HP yeah. for type same type of unit. So if like two of your same units go down to five HP, you can then join them into one big unit. So you yeah. have to plan. You know, is it better to have lots of weaker attacks once you're deeper into the battle? Join them and have like just one full strength attack. Oh, it's it's all in there. Barry. For me, the absolute best strategy of advanced wars is a good offense. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to be good at advanced wars, um, Max is probably the best CEO. I'd say because his power gives you an attack boost. It's like in the best way to deal with a lot of missions is just absolutely mow through the enemy. More missions will take will make you take a more tactical approach. Generally, the terms for winning a battle are either wipe out all the opposing units or capture the enemy's HQ. Yeah. Um, terrain works in the sense that the map has like again like a lot of other SRPGs has different terrain which affects stuff like your movement range. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can certain terrain lets you get an advantage over certain units like if you send an infantry unit up to higher terrain they can't be shot back at by certain other units Yeah. so terrain figures into it quite a lot too um, Fog of War is also a concept you'll be familiar with if you've ever played a, a strategy RPG which can lead to a lot of frustration especially in some of the later missions it's basically just means you can't see most of the map and you have to really intuit where the enemy is. But the enemy are. can definitely see you, which is <laughs> always always an issue I had with Advance Wars. But so the like I said, to the different CEOs, um, there are slight branching paths where this this adds a lot to the the replayability actually is 
there are at certain times you have to pick certain you're given a choice between the three CEOs and sometimes that leads you down different different missions branching paths you didn't mention uh, Sammy's power she's uh, extra movement isn't she ah yep I remember um, so really I mean you can pick a CEO given your playstyle and each CEO has their own kind of unique rival character from another enemy army as well and but that's the thing as well they've also got like really neat little personalities like there's a lot of dialogue yeah. both during the maps and in between levels when you're given these sort of branching path options and uh, yeah all really sort of starts to build up like a really charming personality well, in the game. we were saying it's like it is a very charming game like it looks really nice like the enemies are the enemies the units are cute Mm-hmm. Um, but the design of the ships, uh, I think, is really good as well. The design of the tanks, the design of the air units—it's all. It all has basis in real-world military design. So yeah, but it's all like sort of super deformed style. I mean, there's, there's lovely. Like every time you engage in a battle, like when you first play the game, you'll get like little animations of the units facing off against each other, and you can see the different designs that the different nations have, and that's great. But you will very, very quickly turn it off because. It, it's annoying seeing it every time. Aye, one of the most frustrating things with most SRPGs, but especially this, is waiting just for the enemy turn to be over. Mm-hmm. Like I find myself on later missions being like, "Come on, come on!" But, um, so yeah, I mean that's what we're saying. It, it's like a lovely presentation, so much so that you forget that you're slaughtering. Yeah, they really managed to. I mean, it's so effective the way they skirt around the issue that you're killing, killing people, people. Yeah. Yeah. hundreds like, and hundreds of people. Part of your resource gathering is like capturing like enemy and neutral cities, which is where you can repair your units or gain uh, cash to build new units if yeah. you get factories. And you just like it just kind of strikes you occasionally. So like, I'm capturing the city, and each turn is described as a day as well. Mm. So like, so my infantry's been in here for two days. I love capturing a city. What have they been doing? I, I mean, at, at the end of a battle, you're awarded a rank based on your power, your speed, and your technique. But like, I'm not not a, a glory hunter, so I tend to anywhere where there's a factory, I tend to capture a lot of cities and sit in and just build medium tank, medium tank, medium oh, that's tank. That's interesting. That's completely tank. different the way, from the way I played Advanced Wars. Like, um, once I got into it, like I loved this game, flat out loved this game when it came out. This was. Like I, I just loved the Game Boy Advance when it was out. It was had so many great games, but this was one of them. First real SRPG that I got into, um, and it's interesting Barry sort of saying that compared to other SRPGs, it's it's more complex in a lot of ways in the battle mechanics because it is so beautifully designed and intuitive that you know before you know it, you're you're making these sort of snap judgments about a lot of uh, different variables when planning your attack. But to me, the way the main campaigns. Um, set out I, I consider it almost to be a puzzle game because there is a way that, like in every map there's a solution there's a way to do it to get an S rank to complete it as quickly as possible by damaging as many enemy units as possible and taking as little damage as yeah. yourself and I replayed this game obsessively trying to get S ranks saving after every turn are you one of those people I? Uh, not necessarily because that's a way to get yourself locked into the wrong path like more just sort of like doing each mission and then if you didn't get the S rank going back and doing it again so I mean if you are a perfectionist I mean that's what you do but I just tend to I I prefer to win with overwhelming force generally (laughs) so it's not well to me it's not so much about perfectionism just like that's the elegance of the game Mm. like like you know, it is a puzzle and there is a solution. 
there, there can't be more than one solution given the fact that there's more than one sort of CEO so there's yeah. more than one sort of tactic that really gets you through because it's not even just like their individual powers that they have like um like just generally in the game, like uh, their defense stats will be higher for tanks. I think Max's defense stats for defense stats for tanks are yeah, higher. For armor generally. generally, and you know, when you get later into the game and unlock other uh, CEOs, like some are stronger in the water, they're more naval based or yeah. strong in the air. Um, so oh, there's so many options for playing the game. I mean, that's that's one of the things that, like I said, really lends itself to replayability in terms of just regular longevity as well. Um, you can get a lot of time out of this uh, the way I like to play Advance Wars is maybe just to like fire up the campaign just do one mission at a time because mm. sometimes it can last 10 minutes sometimes it can last 20-25 minutes yeah. so I just like to fire it up play one stick it off next time I fancy having a shot so on and so forth perfect mobile game ah no it really is um, so the balance if we finally we get to the balance um, where the balance was concerned in Advance Wars it became a bit of a saga um, by the, I mean, they spent a long, long time balancing it to the point where at the end of it, I think they were like, right, we just need to get out the door. Um, because I think they got so far with the balance at one point that they couldn't really approach it from a beginner's point of view anymore because they, like everyone that was responsible for working on the balance was like a total pro. Right, sure. So they just they balanced it and they rebalanced it and they rebalanced it and then eventually they were like, right, we'll get out the door. Um the reason, the main reason that a lot of games like this, Fire Emblem, for example, um, Advance Wars, had never made it to the West before is that, not that I'm saying the Japanese think Westerners are stupid, <laughs> but I think there's always been an attitude that the West don't have the patience, they don't have the desire to play a lot of these games. Um, so, I mean, Advance Wars was always intended to be Japan only um, until the point where they decided to try and make the mechanics easier to understand. They'd add this mandatory tutorial. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you can skip to the last mission of the tutorial to get to the campaign, but basically you need to play the tutorial to to get to the campaign. Yeah, which I think is an incredible, incredible way to do it because the tutor the tutorial teaches you everything you need to know to play the game. By the end of the tutorial, you've had some fun and you now know how to play the game. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it's. Something that you see less and less now is a game that will make you sit through the tutorials. But a lot of the times, with especially RPGs in the current gen, like you get a wee thing flash up, like click here to view tutorial. Yeah. And sometimes you're 20 hours into a game before you really understand how a mechanic works. But I think, at least with this, they've made the tutorial fun. And f- mandatory and fun, which I think is a good way of approaching it. Yeah, exactly. It's just a really, really good design element. So, via this, um, when Nintendo's US marketing division got their hands on the game, they were like, oh, th- I mean, th- th- this is great. I mean, maybe they would have found it not as great if the tu- tutorial hadn't been there. That's mm-hmm. one thing I don't know. But th- this this really, really worked. Um, and so, from then on, the US marketers were like, great, we can, we can sell this. People will love this. And that's that's how Advance Wars made it to the West. And this, the most important thing here, uh, Kentaro Nishimura, the guy that created, um, he designed Advance Wars and also Fire Emblem. Um, he comments that um, Advance Wars really marked a, a change in attitude of the way that Nintendo saw its Western consumers. So he credits Advance Wars with really being the only reason why we got stuff like Fire Emblem 
mm. in the West eventually anyway. So we have a, a lot to drink. Advance Wars for, I think. But even if Advance Wars was the only sort of SRPG of that type that we got, it would be phenomenal and there's quite a number of sequels out there. There were a lot of SRPGs did make it over here. Vandal Hearts, for example, one mm-hmm. that we talked about on One More Go. But, I mean, compared to Advance Wars, that's very, very shallow. Very, very shallow. So, no, thank you, Advance Wars. Thank you for letting Intelligent Systems bring Fire Emblem to the West. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will go on record and say that I maybe actually prefer Advance Wars to Fire Emblem. Uh, well, I definitely do, but I'm much less into sort of fantasy settings than you are like uh, Advance Wars is an aesthetic that I, I very much prefer it's a very nice aesthetic um, like I say, do you want to talk about the sequels very much? Um, I don't think so I mean they exist, there's a lot of them for Game Boy Advance, DS um, if you like Advance Wars if you play this one you like it, you're going to want to play the rest is that um, what really there's just some like level of debate as to whether or not they're actually better than the, the first Game Boy Advance game really um, because the first Game Boy Advance game is so perfectly balanced, mm. everything they did after that was kind of gimmicky. Um, like, the last DS game was... I mean, I still loved it. Like, the the, the core gameplay for Advance Wars doesn't go away, mm. but um, it was kind of a bit more dark. It was like a more post-apocalyptic yeah, world. They had an interesting wrinkle on like the sort of CEO powers, like they didn't charge up and were unleashed. They were kind of like always there, but your CEO was in like a tank on the map, like 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 they were actually on the map. So they had like a sort of sphere of influence. I did like that. I'm I'm a fan of that. Yeah, so that was cool. But really, I mean, like everything that got added in like the the sort of Game Boy Advance and uh, DS sequels. it was really just sort of like adding bows and bells and whistles yeah. to something that's so solid. Like if this, well, this, I mean, where do you go from something that is a masterpiece of design? Like it's mm-hmm. so wonderfully, wonderfully designed, perfectly balanced. I mean, it was always going to be hard to top that. It's just whether you prefer the aesthetic of the later Advance Wars titles or not. Yeah, you could play any of them and have a great time, but I, well, I would say start this one and work your way through because they're all wonderful. Yep, you can get it for the Wii U Virtual Console as well. <sighs> Thank you, Wii U. I, I haven't played it on there, but I don't imagine there's much better than playing Advance Wars on the gamepad in your bed. I imagine that's uh, that's pretty nice. So no, definitely, definitely pick it up. Um, I played it, though, on my new favourite console ever, the Game Boy Micro, Ooh. which I managed, to, I managed to pick up a pink one secondhand for 25 quid, and it is immaculate. It's like, it was a miracle. For years, I've been looking for a decent Game Boy Micro. In that colour, in that one. style, in that finish, it is the most Barry T handheld I've ever seen in my life. Uh, for uh, There's not much to say about the Game Boy Micro. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you know what it looks like. Um, it came out in 2005, famously revealed in that E3 presentation where Reggie whips it out his breast pocket and um. just holds it up. <laughs> and there's a gasp ripples through the crowd. But Is that a computer? It's well nice. It's so nice. If you've got bigger hands, I could see you maybe struggling with it. But since I've got wee dainty chair pans, <laughs> oh, it's perfect. The screen as well. I think the screen is much better than the. Oh, it's obviously better than the regular Game Boy Advance. The only thing I've not really compared it against is the AGS One Hundred One SP, which is like the backlit SP rather than the one that's lit from the bottom. Oh yeah, yeah. But I don't generally think I. I find the Game Boy Micro better to control than the SP. I find your hands are very close together on an SP. Well, they're close together on the Micro too, but for some reason it's less of an issue for me, I think. Well, it's because you're focusing between them uh, rather than above them. 
I think. No, the micro is great. If, I mean, if you ever see one cheap, absolutely, absolutely buy it. I think it's even better to play Game Boy Advance games on than the DS Lite. And I've played all my GBA games on the DS Lite, but I will be favouring the micro from now on. So if you see one for even 40, 50 bucks, I'd absolutely pick it up. You can get Easy Flash 4 is like a really good flash card for it. Um, and that's it. You just, you, you, any way which you can better discover the Game Boy Advance library is, is, a, is a good thing to do. So. I can't. I don't think we stress this enough on the podcast. We will continue to stress it all the time. The Game Boy Advance has one of the best libraries of any console ever. Absolutely, and I, I guarantee there will be something that you will love that you've not played yet. So, the the successive libraries of all the Nintendo handhelds is just ridiculous. How they mm. keep on uh, for years and years, they managed to keep on putting out so much quality. But the Game Boy Advance, the Game Boy Advance especially launched with so many titles that it just hit the ground running and just kept on adding to that library over a very lengthy lifespan before the mm. DS appeared. So, I whether whether you like whether you want to pick it up on the Game Boy Advance or whether you want to pick it up on the Wii U, if you're into games that have depth, you know, and are are, are wonderful wonderful products of their design, then absolutely play Advance Wars. <laughs> So here's our second groveling apology of the show. Uh, Game Club, our our vision to bring gamers <laughs> together never really happened because we're kind of shite bags and we just stopped in podcasting for a while. But, but Game Club is back. Yeah, come on. And rather than give up on Tombaugh, I think we're just going to pu- we're just going to use this opportunity to push Tombaugh one more time. Mm-hmm. So next month we are going to talk about Tombaugh, what everyone thought of it. Um, the hashtag we were using was, of course, OMG Club One, and that hashtag's out there. It was in use for a time, so if you want to go and see what people have already been saying, mm-hmm. please do. And um, we're going to push it more, though. Yeah, I certainly uh, battered through a good sort of uh, part of the beginning of the game. There's a lot of my thoughts out there. There was some of our other loyal, loyal listeners uh, put out their own thoughts. I can now tell you that it is a fun game. It's very, very interesting. Uh, it's Design and aesthetic and things like that is um, not something you see often these days. So it's don't 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 go too far. Don't okay, go too far. Okay, it's, okay. It's, it's, it's not. It's all for the club. It's not game club yet. It's game club next month. But um, yeah, like we say, we 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 had this sort of grand vision for it and things kind of derailed. But um, also use the hashtags just to discuss the the game club itself. Like if you Aye. feel there's better ways to do it, or maybe I mean it's possible. It doesn't happen often, but it's possible we might have been wrong and we didn't pick the right game for this this thing. We th- we still think that it's a good game and that um, there's a lot of value to get you guys playing it and discussing it. But if you feel that if you disagree, let us let know. Let us know. And again, if you don't want to buy it, just just drop me a message. I'll hook you up. You can't see me winking. What noise does a wink make? Oh, oh that was horrible. That was horrible. <laughs> So that's what's happening with Game Club. It's mm-hmm. still on. Game Club is back. Yeah. So we'll see you next month where we will talk about Tomba. And please use the hashtag OMG Club One. Yes. That's the number one. Don't spell it out. Otherwise, <coughs> oh God, terrible things will happen. The numeral. Shop. Just, no, come Shop. on. So it's O as an Shop. Oscar. Shop. M as Shop. Be quiet. Be quiet. Cool. 
people so that brings us to the end of one more go I was going to say for another month for another six months yeah um, but no we will be back next month it's Halloween next month so we're going to play some spooky games Ooh. as always uh, please check us out on Tumblr we'll be posting the usual gift sets mm-hmm. one more go podcast.tumblr.com and we're on Twitter at one more go pod and you can reach us individually on Twitter too um, I'm at no stopping epoch I'm at Nicole Hay N-I-C-O-L H-A-Y um, and it's uh, really it's over to you to, to what's going to be playing us out that's, what's going to be playing us out now you might feel I got a bit lazy here because uh, the music I've chosen is the title music from Choo Choo Rocket for the Dreamcast um, this was part of the reason why I like when I saw this game on iOS like on the um, on the app store why I leapt to buy it because this theme music has been lodged in my brain almost permanently over the last 14 years it's it's just a wonderful little tune mm. and it really sells the um, the thon and the aesthetics that you're about who, to play. Who wrote it? It was Tomoya Otani was the composer. What else? Um, what else did he do? I don't Tomoya know because I don't have do. your Wi-Fi password. Good, good. Same old one more go. Yeah, I, I forgot Same just how Nicole much... I forgot how in depth we actually meant to go on this podcast. I basically That's the best part. Is. You find a great tune, you see who composed it, you see what else they composed and you go... Ah, it's that. This is why we do one more go. It's for the. Ah. So what else did uh, Otani San write? I'm glad you asked, Barry. Yes. Um, he, Choo Choo Rocket is a Sonic Team game, so he was just basically an in-house musician uh, with Sonic Team. Choo Choo Rocket does appear to have been his first game, so he's not necessarily on most of the the classic Sonic Team games. But um, um, we, I like how we're all discovering this at the same time as you read it off your phone. Thanks. Wait, is smash down the fourth wall there? Aye, man. But um, just call me Deadpool. He did what? Well, he did the sound effects on Skies of Arcadia. Uh, oh, mate, that is a le- <laughs> no. That's a legitimately exciting credit. Ideal. Um, he did some work on Sonic Adventure Two. No, that's not. That's not so legitimately exciting. Space Channel Five Part Two. No, I'm good. Billy Hatcher. Ah, Sonic Heroes. Uh, uh, a bit of a mixed bag. Sega Rally Two Thousand and Six. No opinion. Sonic the Hedgehog 2006. Let's stop this now. Give me that. Uh, he did the, nope. the night sequel, Super Monkey Ball. He did like all your favourite Sonic team games. A lot. But anyway, so he did this lovely Choo Choo Rocket yeah. title screen music. So yeah, you're going to hear the title music right now, which is the tune that's buried itself in my brain for the years. But you will find very easily on YouTube a complete pay- playlist of the entire soundtrack of Choo Choo Rocket. Um... It's quite simple. I mean, like they're they're quite sort of repetitive, simple little tunes. But there's lots of lovely little themes in there. So uh, I do urge you to go and check it out and uh, join us next time, sometime in the distant future. Nah, next month, spooky, spooky. One more go. Even so, if, even if we just do one more go for the holidays, definitely a hundred percent. Next month, join us for definitely. more games that we used o- to love. OMG Club One next month. Games we used to love, games we still love. Games, games that we hope you'll love too. It's, it's like you've never been away, Barry. Ah, it's good to be back. <laughs>